How many of you remember the first time you stood on one of these? The fear, the apprehension, the anxiety. I have uh, two experiences with diving boards I want to share with you. The first was when I was about six years old. At the time, our family was living in a small town in Minnesota called Blaine. Not a whole lot to do in Blaine in the winter, but they did have a community pool where all the kids would go. And this community pool happened to be built for Olympic divers. And so there was this high, high, high dive. And of course, it was the goal of every kid who went to this pool to climb up the 300 stairs and jump off that high dive. Well, my day came and I climbed the 300 stairs. I got to the edge of this high dive and I thought I was going to die. And everything in me wanted to turn back around, but there's dozen kids lined up yelling at me to just jump already. And so I built up the courage. My pride wouldn't let me turn around and I jumped. And you know what? I didn't die. (laughs) In fact, it was kind of fun. And so I got back in line and I did it again and I did it again. Now, my other experience with a diving board was a little different. I was working at this point as a camp counselor at a summer camp, and we would go to the pool. I'd bring the kids to the pool every day, and there was a diving board at this pool. These diving boards uh, didn't have any sticky stuff at the end of the diving board, though, and I didn't know that. So the first time I went to go jump off this diving board, I did the whole run and jump thing. I jumped up into the air, and I landed back down on the board. There was nothing to stop me from slipping. My knee absolutely tore up. I hit my head against the back of the board. I found myself underwater, not being able to move my leg. And that led to the first of three knee surgeries. Jumping in that case turned out to be a very painful experience, and I haven't been much for diving boards since, as you can imagine. Now, why tell you these stories? Well, because we continue our series as a church family called The Life of Christ, walking through the Gospel of Luke together, looking at the life of Jesus, And we come to a section in Luke's gospel where he invites his disciples not to jump off a diving board, but to jump into ministry, sometimes just as scary. He still invites us to jump into ministry today as well. Now, I know the idea of jumping into ministry for some people is a lot like peering over the edge of that high dive I talked about. Everything in you is telling you not to go, that you're going to die. And so you want to go back, but you finally do jump in. You finally give it a try and you realize what a rush serving can be. You can't believe what you were missing out on. For others, like for my knee there, you may have jumped into ministry before, but along the line you got hurt or you got burned or you didn't have the right fit. You weren't using your gifts correctly and you've been cautious about serving ever since and rightfully so. Yet you know you can't stay on the side of the pool forever if you want to be a growing disciple. In fact, it is the purpose of every person, every person who considers themselves to be a disciple of Jesus to serve in some way. As we've been saying here at our church, right, we're growing disciples, we're learning to be disciples who love the Lord, we're learning to be disciples who love one another, and we're learning to be disciples who serve the world. In order to be a growing disciple, serving is a non-negotiable As we're going to see in our passages this morning, this was like Jesus' M.O., right? This is what he did. He invited disciples to come and follow him, to learn from him, to be trained by him, to be equipped from him, and then, guess what? He always sent them out. He sent them out to serve. And so this morning, we're going to dive right into Luke 9. Right? 
Some of you will get that in about 30 minutes. I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to Luke 9. We're going to be starting in verse 1 together. If you don't have a Bible, we have some available for you in the the seats either in front of you or underneath you there, and you can find Luke 9, verse 1 on 723. I'm also going to mention, I'm going to read parts of Luke chapter 10, because that's a passage where Jesus sends out 72 other disciples as well. But we're going to start in Luke 9 and see how Jesus challenged his 12 closest followers to jump into ministry. I'll invite you to read verses 1 and 2 out loud with me. I have them printed on your notes there. That's how we'll start. Are you ready? says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I'll keep going. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now skip down to verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Now, like I mentioned, I want you to just flip over one chapter to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to start there in verse 1 as well. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Will you pray with me? Lord, we want to be growing disciples. That's why we're here. And part of that means serving, being sent out by you. So we pray that you wouldn't just help us to hear the message this morning, but we would apply it. That we would listen to you and we would respond to you as you're calling us to. For your name, as we sang, for your name be all glory. Amen. Well, friends, I'm just going to reiterate what I have been saying so far this morning. If you're following on your notes there, being a disciple, and I know not everybody considers themselves a disciple of Jesus, but if you do consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, it always involves being sent out. Being a disciple always involves being sent out. I would put it this way. Disciples are sent ones. We're sent ones. We are not meant to live life on the side of the pool. We are meant to jump in. It is the commission of every disciple. When I was in junior high, I called in a radio show in our town, and they were offering free tickets to the Sharks hockey game. This was when I was living in the Bay Area, and I won. 
And so my dad and I got to go to a San Jose Sharks game who happened to be playing in the Stanley Cup finals right now. And we show up to the game and we didn't realize that these tickets were for a luxury box. Have you ever been in a luxury box at any sporting event? They're called a luxury box for a reason, right? You don't ever want to leave them. They're amazing. Like they're bringing us all the food we could ever want. They're bringing me like gear from the San Jose Sharks because we had won these tickets. It was an incredible experience. The only problem with the luxury box is this. The game is not played in the luxury box. The game is played down on the ice. And God doesn't call disciples to live in the luxury box. He calls us to be down on the ice, in the middle of the action. And that's one of the things I love about these stories that we just read. Sometimes I try to imagine what it must have been like to have been a part of Jesus' inner circle. Like, what would it have been like to be one of the 12 apostles here in Luke 9? I mean, just think about where we've been so far in the Gospel of Luke. It must have been absolutely incredible, right? We're going around all throughout Israel watching the ultimate ministry player do his ministry thing. Like, he is incredible. He's healing diseases. He's calming storms. He's casting demons out of people. He's proclaiming the good news of the message of the kingdom. And we're just getting to watch. Life in the luxury box is pretty nice. But simply watching Jesus do ministry is not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of Jesus. It was and never is Jesus' intention to call disciples who simply observe him and sit on the sidelines and watch him do it. He calls and equips every disciple to serve. And for Jesus, the time has come in the Gospel of Luke. The time has come for the disciples to stop watching him and to start doing what he has been doing. So in this passage, Jesus sends them out. And then we read in Luke 10, he sends out 72 other followers. And listen, he still sends us out today. He still sends us out today. Sometimes I think, especially in our consumeristic society, that most people think the Christian life is about the luxury box. I come to church to get fed. I go to Sunday school to get fed. I go to my life group to get fed. Ministry is for the experts. Serving is for the experts. I mean, that's why we pay pastors after all, right? But that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus says that's not how you will ever grow As a disciple of mine, that's not what I've called to you. And more than that, that luxury mentality, it will never fulfill you. It will never fulfill you, nor will it come close to helping develop you into the person I intend you to become. And who does Jesus want us to become like? Him. We've been saying it almost every week as a church family, as we've been going through this series. Can we read this sentence one more time? I mean, why are we even studying Jesus? Say it, we want to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. We're becoming like Jesus. And to become like Jesus, we gotta get out of the luxury box and serve others. We are sent ones. Now, if you step back and think about it, Jesus was really a genius in all of this, right? If you were given the task of carrying the good news of the kingdom of God to the entire world, how would you go about it? Social media? The internet, maybe some TV commercials. I mean, all those technologies would certainly be useful, but Jesus relied on a more basic and much more effective means of communication. You know what it was? People. People. He called his followers together. He equipped them. He discipled them. He trained them. 
And then he entrusted them to carry out the message and the ministry of the kingdom of God, right? His message that there's a king and I'm inviting you into my kingdom and his ministry of healing, of social justice concerns, of concern for the poor and so on and so forth that we read in these passages. Jesus understood there's no substitute for committed men and women who love God enough and care enough about people to show and tell them about God's incredible kingdom invitation. Now think about it this way. If you were to start up a business, it's often the dream of one person, right, to start that business. But eventually the time comes, if you want to grow the business, you got to hire other people to become a part of it. And they can't just be doing like the nitty get gritty work. They have to be a part of the vision. They have to be a part of the strategy. They have to start making decisions. One person can't do it all, nor can they be there forever. Jesus understood this. It was vital for him that he share his life and that he share his work with his closest followers because though they didn't know it yet, he wasn't going to be there forever. There was a time coming very soon where he was going to be leaving them and he was expecting them to continue to carry the message and to carry the ministry of the kingdom of God to others. Jesus' plan here is very simple. We've talked about this often as a church, if you're following on your notes. His plan, his whole plan rides on this. He commissions us to serve the world by showing and telling others about life in the kingdom. He commissions us, disciples, to serve the world by showing and telling others about life in the kingdom. That's what Luke 9 and Luke 10 are about in a nutshell, right? Every, commission, every disciple commissioned to serve. Now, I've probably preached on, if, if you've been a part of our church family, you hear me say the word show and tell, you get shivers that come up, right? Because I've probably preached on this like six or seven times in the life of our church family, right? The whole idea here, Jesus' whole strategy is go and show people the kingdom, how, does, how do we do that? Well, we, we work with the poor. We are concerned about social issues. We heal like they did here. We're involved in these kinds of ministries, but then we're also to proclaim, to tell others about the incredible invitation Jesus gives. But I don't want to talk about that this morning. If you want to learn more about a strategy, you can look back. Uh, Jeff's taught on this as well. What I want to do is I want to take these passages that we read together and talk about the three most common reasons I hear from people why they don't surf. Like, what are the main reasons that people don't jump off that diving board and get into the ministry game? What keeps us from obeying Jesus' commission to go into this world and serve? I feel strongly about this topic, as you can probably tell, because listen, this is his plan. You are his plan. You're his plan for his kingdom to come. But here's the thing. I don't want this to be a guilt trip thing. If that's already rising up in you, I want to squelch this because it's never a good idea to serve out of guilt. Jesus isn't guilting the disciples here to go serve. He equips them. He empowers them. I just want us to, though, be a little bit honest about some of the reasons that keep us from serving. I've struggled with all of these. I still struggle with them. And so maybe this could be helpful for us today, all right? So that's how we're going to look at this. So reason number one. First reason I hear most often for not serving is I am not qualified. I'm not qualified for this. I don't have what it takes. I don't think there's anything special about me. Serving is for the experts, and I'm certainly no expert. I laugh every time I hear somebody say that. 
Because both in the Bible and all throughout history, just think about the people God used to expand his kingdom. I love how Rick Warren puts it. I'm going to read this. He says, these are the actual people God used in the Bible. Abraham was on Medicare. Moses had a speech impediment. Joseph was an ex-con. Rahab had a history of sexual misbehavior. David was a homicidal adulterer. Elijah was bipolar. John the Baptist ate bugs. Thomas doubted. Gideon panicked. Martha obsessed about food preparation and housekeeping. That's Martha in the Bible, not Martha Stewart. (laughs) Jonah was directionally challenged. Samson was relationally challenged. Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. Integrity challenged and worked for the IRS, so no one really liked him. Jeremiah was too young. Sarah said she was too old. Paul was not exactly the most tactful of people. And Peter was a poster boy for spiritual attention deficit disorder. (laughs) Isn't that great? Those are the people God used to change the world. So how can we say we don't have what it takes? When I hear people give this reason, I'm not qualified. I mean, it comes in many different ways, right? I couldn't do that, whatever. You know what I want to say to them? You're right. You are 100% absolutely right. You and I are not qualified for this. And that is the whole point. Because you're not really the one doing it anyway. What does Luke 9 verse 1 say? You have it on your notes there. What did Jesus do before he actually sent out his disciples? It says he gave them his power and his authority. When Jesus commissions the disciples as he ascends into heaven in Matthew 28, right? The mission of every church. Go and make disciples. What does he say before that? All by power and authority rests on you. So listen, all ministry that is done in the name of Jesus and for the purpose of the kingdom, whether it's showing or telling, is done in his power and his authority. This is one of the reasons, by the way, I included Luke 10 for us this morning because it would be easy for us to read Luke 9 and go, oh yeah, that's great for the 12 apostles. They're the apostles. Of course they could go do this. No, one chapter later, Jesus sends out 72 ordinary followers and he equips them with the same power and the same authority. I love that Luke includes that story because the whole idea is not that it takes exceptional people to do effective ministry. That is one of the biggest lies we believe as the people of God. That it takes exceptional people to do effective ministry. I mean, I've thought things before like, well, if that person only became a Christian, then ah, that is not how God at all sees the world. In fact, if you're following on your notes there, it's the reverse. Effective ministry is done when ordinary people allow Jesus to work through them. I wrote in the bulletin column, I just finished that class I taught on Christian history. You want to know what the biggest lessons people took away from that class was this right here. God, all through history, biblical history, Christian history, takes flawed human beings. The only thing they have in common is they're willing to let him work through them and in them. And they do extraordinary things. Jesus tells us something remarkable in John 14, 2. Would you read these words out loud on your outlines with me there? It says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I used to read that and be like, he's just blowing smoke here. Like, how can I do greater things than Jesus? The point is not that Jesus is saying you can be greater than Jesus. 
The point is, I am going to empower you with the very same Holy Spirit of God that empowered my entire ministry, and that is what is going to make your ministry great. That's going to, that's what's going to make your serving great. I am giving you the very spirit of which I did my ministry. Friends, no Christian can excuse him or herself from the call to serve by pleading inadequacy. God has given us his power and authority. And the result is that our service will be effective. It will, no matter how inadequate we feel about it. I'll just say to you right here, this is my story. It is only the fact that God has a sense of humor that I'm standing up in front of you right now and speaking. I'm not kidding. The first time I was asked to speak, I was puking my guts out, and I promised God I will never, ever do this again in my life. But I learned a lesson that night, that God loves nothing more than to take our weakness and use it for his glory and for his name. There is no inadequate person. There is no inadequate person to serve the kingdom of God. Second reason I hear most often for not serving is I just don't have the time. I don't have the time. I got to be honest, I get a little nervous when I hear this one. Because for the most part, and here's where I'm going to enter in all my little caveats, right? For the most part, aside from things like health or seasons of life or circumstances, or maybe your work is not allowing for that, maybe your work is your ministry place, I can't mention everything, but for the most part, the thing that takes up our time is we're building up our luxury boxes here on earth, right? We're trying to make our luxury boxes as nice as possible, but maybe you've learned this lesson, maybe you haven't, no matter how nice your luxury box is, the thrill will always wear off. That luxury box will never bring lasting satisfaction. Now imagine we were given tickets to that Sharks game luxury box for 50 straight games. Do you think by the 50th game, my dad and I would have been as in awe and enamored by the whole luxury box experience? No, it would have been second nature. It'd be no big deal. And yet people spend their whole lives trying to furnish nicer and bigger and better luxury box boxes. But the problem is sooner or later, we're all going to end up in the same luxury box. And you know where that is? It's about six feet underground. And it doesn't matter if it's made of pine or marble, right? What matters in this life is what you did with Jesus and what you did with the people Jesus put in your path. In Luke 9, 3, Jesus tells the disciples, take nothing for the journey. In Luke 10, 4, he says, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Why? But what if I'll be more comfortable at he wants them to learn an important lesson. That when you trust me, I will provide everything you need. When you give your life to me in service, I will provide everything you need. Friends, if you're saying I'm too busy to serve, I'm going to ask you a challenging question. Too busy doing what? As Jesus said in 10 verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What am I too busy doing that is keeping me from serving Jesus and his kingdom? What's more important than that? I've been in ministry a long time now, and I've never once talked to a person who regretted a life of service. Never. I've never talked to somebody who said, man, I wish I spent more of my time watching TV. 
Or I wish I spent more time working so that I could build my luxury box nicer. No, no, no. The upside down nature of the kingdom of God, something Jesus has been talking about again and again throughout the gospel of Luke, is it is only as you give your life away that you will find true life. We talk about abundant life, right? Life to the full. The secret of the kingdom of God is it's when you give your life away that you will find the abundant life that he came to offer you because it's only when we give our lives in service to him that we will experience the joy of making a difference in someone's life. And that is joy that is eternal. Not my 60-inch big screen which can get burned. It is making a difference in someone's life. I love how in Luke 9, 10, we're told that the disciples come back from their ministry adventure and Jesus is waiting for them. Picture that. Like, what do you picture there? How cool would that be? He's like, tell me all about it. What'd you see? What'd you do? And they gather and they're all excited. Or in Luke 10, 17, this is truly one of my favorite verses. Let's read it out loud together there. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were pumped. Take nothing for the journey. I'll provide for you. And they come back and they can't believe the way the Lord provided for them. They can't believe how Jesus equipped them and empowered them. They got to be a part of changing people's lives. What could be better than that? It's no different today, friends. You want to know what the secret to a joyful life is? It's giving your life away. When we do this, we follow Jesus' example who, as the author of Hebrews said, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. That always just gives me pause here. It was for the joy. The joy of what? The joy of knowing that as he gave his life away, we might have life with him. So it was for the joy set before him he endured the cross. The same is still true for us. The luxury box will not satisfy if you're following. It's only as we give our lives away in service that we will find true joy and purpose. I want to make time for that. I want to make time for that. The third reason I most often hear for people not serving is I am afraid. I am afraid. I'm thinking especially right now of maybe serving outside of the church, though maybe serving inside the church is a great first step, and that's a fearful thought for you as well. But I'm thinking more about things like evangelism, right? Proclaiming the message of the kingdom to others, actually telling them about Jesus. I'm thinking about things like serving in local ministries within our city, some of the ministries we support here, right? Ministries to the poor, ministries to the homeless, I think about those things and immediately all kinds of fear rise up in me. I don't know about you. Can you relate to this? Fear that I won't know all the right answers. Fear of rejection. Fear of being out of my comfort zone. Fear of doing it wrong. Fear of not being safe. Fear that they won't like me. I could go on and on. You know why? Because I have all these fears. Can you relate? Am I, is it just me here, right? Let's just name it. It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary serving other people. Showing and telling the gospel. Let me ask you, do you think the disciples were scared? You think they were afraid in Luke 9 and 10 here? It doesn't say specifically, but I got to imagine when Jesus says something like, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. 
or explaining how, hey, you're going to come to a town and every single town there's going to be people who reject you. They're probably wondering, like, what am I getting myself into? So how does Jesus speak to their fears? How does he speak to ours still today? Well, number one, as we already saw, he empowers them and equips them. But number two, and this is what I want to focus on here, check this out. He tells them, expect failure and move on. Expect to fail. Expect to be rejected. Expect that there will be people who don't want to receive the ministry or the message of the kingdom of God and move on. Listen, the first time you jumped off a diving board, did you do like a perfect swan dive? Everybody on the side of the pool? Oh, that's well done. No, you like barely made it and your legs were all like crooked and you just, you did it. And then you got better at it, right? Because you got back on and you got back on and then the day came where you decided, oh, I'm going to try a dive. And was that perfect? No, it was a belly flop. But you built up the courage and you got back up on the diving board and pretty soon you were learning to dive. You were getting more and more comfortable serving, showing and telling the gospel is no different. Do you think the first time that you share your faith with someone, it's going to be like angels in the sky playing harps? Like, wow, that was amazing. 10 out of 10. No. Do you think that conversation the first time with a homeless person at Washington Street Mission is going to feel comfortable? Yeah, this is my comfort zone right here. No. Do you think leaving your current life group that you've been a part of for five years and leading your own because you know there are other people who need to be engaged in an authentic community in our church is going to be awesome all the time? Listen, here's another lesson. The only way to grow as a disciple is through failure. The only way to grow as a disciple is through failure. But here's the key. When we fail, we don't beat ourselves up. We don't stop getting on the diving board. We pick ourselves up. We find God's grace waiting for us. And we try again. And we get better. And more comfortable. And better. I think one of the most important things Jesus says in these passages is when he says to his disciples, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. In other words, Jesus is saying, Yep, there are going to be people who want nothing to do with me, my kingdom, my ministry, my message. Should you fret about that? Should you worry? Should you force things? Should you consider yourself a failure and never try again? Should you stop serving? No. Move on. Move on. Specifically, this is an interesting idea here. Jesus says, go and find somebody who is a person of peace. Go and find someone who's a person of peace or somebody who is hospitable or welcoming to your message and ministry. What is a person of peace? Listen to how Mike Breen describes a person of peace. I have this on the screen here for you to follow along. I I really like this. He says, very simply, a person of peace is one who is prepared to hear the message of the kingdom of the king. He is ready to receive what God will give you to say at that moment. This should be our prayer as we venture forth each day. Lord, bring into my path today a person of peace and give me the grace to speak your words to this person. One who is not a person of peace will not receive what you have to say. We are not to belabor the issue. Jesus says to shake the dust off your feet and move on. No amount of coercion on our part can make someone become a person of peace. This is the job of the Holy Spirit. 
He alone can prepare a heart to hear the gospel. Our job is to have our spiritual eyes open, looking for a person of peace to cross our paths. I don't know about you, but that alleviates a lot of fear for me. My commission, your commission, is not to force the kingdom of God on somebody. It's to look for somebody who maybe God is already working in their lives. Now listen, we still gotta go, and we will still certainly be rejected, and we will fail, but like that child learning to dive off a diving board, we get back on. And we don't let our failures keep us from being sent ones. Now, as I close this morning, I want to just address four different types of people I think might be in this room right now. First, I look around this room and I see many of you who know the joy of serving and you're doing it. You're doing it. As Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. As the Lord of the harvest, therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You are those workers. Maybe you're working with children downstairs on Sunday morning and you're planting seeds that are going to last in their lives. Maybe you're a part of a, a prayer ministry here at church. Maybe you're leading a life group towards authentic community. Maybe you're making meals for Salvation Army, showing, showing the gospel to them. Maybe you're a light in your workplace and you're open to when the Lord brings a person of peace across your path. I could give hundreds of examples, right? If that's you, I'm gonna say two things to you. First of all, I hope more than anything else, you feel the deep joy of the Lord as you serve him. When he says in Matthew 25 to those who use their gifts for his glory, for his kingdom, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope you sense that. I hope you feel that. Secondly, on behalf of our church family, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the call to be a disciple seriously because we wouldn't exist. The kingdom of God would not increase if it weren't for people like you who put on the serving towel and serve this world. Thank you for being a sent one. Thank you for giving your life away for others. The second group of people I want to speak to this morning are those of you who maybe are in seeking mode, right? You're not sure about church. You're not sure about Jesus. Maybe you're not sure about Cherry Hills. We say this often. Chuck said it this morning. We're glad you're here. And for now, maybe your job is just to keep seeking. Though, as I thought about that, I want to say to you, sometimes the best way to discover what life in Christ is really all about is actually getting dirty. It's actually getting in and, and serving and seeing, oh, well, this is what the call to a disciple really means. A third group of people who are here this morning, you might be in a season of healing. You might just need to be on the sidelines for a time. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe your ministry is to your children right now. You got three screaming little ones at home. Our word to you has always been, this, we want to be a church where you can be served. Sometimes we just need to be served too, right? We hope that this can be a place for you. Never feel pressured into serving. This is not a guilt thing if you're not ready. We have used this example before, both Jeff and I, right? Sometimes we need our sponges to get filled back up before we can pour them back out again in service. But there's a fourth type of person here, and this is who I'm talking to this morning. It's the person who says, yeah, I'm a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I'm seeking him as a disciple. Uh, but the truth is, you're still on the side of the pool. You're learning how to love the Lord. You're learning how to love others. And yet you've been 
maybe afraid or felt inadequate or maybe any number of other reasons that I haven't mentioned this morning, you just haven't wanted to get in. My challenge to you is simple. Being a disciple of Jesus always means taking steps towards serving. It always means I'm being sent out. So I wonder if we close, if we could just reflect on this question. Where and how is God sending me to serve? Notice I didn't say if. It's where and how. Like, how has God made me? What gifts has he given me? What passions has me given me? Am I supposed to serve in the church somewhere? We never say that at Cherry Hills, by the way. We, we believe in the kingdom of God, right? Some people are serving as teachers in District 186. Go, keep serving. Maybe you're supposed to serve, though, in our city. Maybe you're being called by God to take up everything and leave and go serve somewhere in this world. Let's just spend a moment of reflection as we prepare our hearts for communion and ask ourselves, where and how is the Lord asking me to serve? Let's pray. Oh Lord, to think about the fact that we are your plan is daunting, and yet it's also exciting. Because you never call us to do anything that you haven't already equipped us to do, empowered us to do. You have entrusted us with your kingdom, the incredible news of the invitation, the message and the ministry of the gospel. I pray more than anything else this morning that we would hear from you an invitation not a guilt trip. That we would sense that giving our lives away, as hard as that is, is actually the best way to experience life. Life with you, life to the full. And so now, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we can't help but think about the one who served us in the ultimate sense by giving up his life for us. It's in his great name we pray, amen.